Happy New Year everyone, welcome to Art of a Time for another year, this is Luke here, just me this week chatting to Ian Watson from Slipstream Brewing, uh, Ian's a lovely guy, he knows a lot about beer, he's been in the industry for a long time so ticks a lot of boxes for the kind of people we love to have on the show and a really cool chat. Uh, the next episode will be me and Dave uh, chatting over YouTube, uh, which will be discussing gabs. You can join us live next Monday night on the Beer Together YouTube channel, uh, or if not, it'll be released as a podcast. We'll probably have a special guest for that one, so stay stay tuned. In the meantime, uh, I'll throw to my chat with Ian, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you all soon. Hello, Ian. How are you going? Yeah, very well, thanks, Luke. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, before we started, you mentioned you're in your personal cellar. Yeah, that's right. Look, all these lovely bottles of wine here that I put price tags on just for my own benefit, you know. Yeah. It's it's not a fake backdrop, as you can see. Yeah, yeah. It would be really great if people did think that was fake and you just interacted with it suddenly. Yeah. Um, now, Ian, uh, where are you, actually? I'm at a craft uh, wine store in Red Hill in Brisbane, um, sitting here amongst all the friggin' awesome wine and uh, beer that they have here. It is um, absolutely the best, uh, the best grog shop, um, if we want to use that terrible word, uh, <laughs> in the best alcohol store in, in Queensland. I love it, love it here. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting with all these great wines behind me, and I've got some two wonderful. Kerner Rieslings there that I'm I'm uh, uh, lusting over. Uh, I've got Magnums of 2013 St. Bernardus right beside me. Um, there's some Yuzu Lager on tap. Um, there I can see bottles of Saison de Pont sitting over there, which is making me very excited. And yeah, wonderful spirits and all those cool things. All the things that you've described, other than the, the St. Bernardus, a super summertime drinks, Riesling, Yuzu Lager, Saison de Pont. Uh, it's, first, it's one of the first really nice days we've had in a while, so that's making me really thirsty. Oh, what's uh, a cool, cool and uh, wet and or not summery down there? Yeah, it's been sort of low 20s, even sort of 19, a uh, bit of rain the last few days. So for people watching this, this is recorded on Wednesday, the, what is it, the 19th? 20th. 20th. Uh, 25 degrees out there, so it's, it's quite just perfect. Uh, we're well in the 30s up here and uh, sweating our bums off in the brewery. <laughs> uh, so is that your local bottle shop? Uh, this one isn't, no, but Craft do have another store that is my local bottle shop, uh, a few hundred metres from my house. Um, but um, uh, no, this one this one isn't, isn't my local. How come you're sitting there then? How did this happen? Uh, well, I wanted somewhere lovely to sit and, and record um, and the brewery would have been steaming hot still at the moment, so I didn't want to sit, sit there and uh, uh, my lovely girlfriend is working over there in the corner somewhere uh, with the beer at the moment, so great. Uh, I thought this is the best place to come and, and record it. It, it was, it's great being in a place that someone's grabbing random bottles and showing them and talking about them, so I'm glad you chose it. 
Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you've had a, a quite a, a reasonable amount of experience brewing. Um, how did you become a brewer? Uh, yeah, I sort of fell into it, um, kind of. Uh, I wanted to be in the beer industry and I kind of fell into that to a degree too. Uh, but being a brewer wasn't the, the original intention. So I've been in the industry coming up to 20 years now um, and I've worked all sorts of roles in there. You know, I've worked behind bars, I've worked in restaurants, you know, I worked as a sommelier. Uh, I've, I've worked in wholesale um, for, you know, a distributor and an importer of beers. I was very, very bad at, at wholesaling beer. I did that for an extremely short period of time. Um, I've worked in retail in, in several bottle shops um, uh, uh, that sort of dealing more in the higher end. Um, and I've done consultancy work, um, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I was, I was doing, uh, becoming a brewer, I was doing a, a little bit of consultancy while I was doing some other stuff. And the consultancy was not so much in how to brew because I wasn't uh, a brewer at that stage, but it was more um, in those early days of this current wave, let's call it, of uh, craft beer, you know, in, in the 2000s. Um, brewers that were trying to find what they should do because there's a lot of quite amateurish marketing or positioning of themselves or, you know, uh, uh, there was also people trying to think, uh, how are we best going to ride this wave? What can we go? And sort of helping them with the direction and what, um, uh, what people might be looking for there. Um, but I was a very experienced home brewer by that stage. I'd spent a lot of time in and around breweries, uh, helping out where I could and learning and so forth. And then um, a, a, a customer that I was, you know, just sort of starting to deal with this Sunshine Coast Brewery um, asked me for some assistance and so forth. And they lost their brewer and, and offered me the opportunity to step in and, and take over. And it was kind of a sidestep, not really what I was intending to do, but I thought, yeah, why not? Let's give it a, let's give it a go um, yeah, and, and see what happens. And, um, yeah, that was 15, 16 years ago now um, that, I, that I actually became a brewer. The Sunshine Coast Brewery, is that still around? It is, yeah. Yeah, they're still, they're still going. And uh, Greg, uh, Greg and Bridget Curran, the owners, um, I speak to Greg maybe once or so a year, um, and some of the loveliest people uh, in the industry, and I've always got time for them. And, you know, if they called me and said, we need help, I would say, I'll be there as quick as possible. Um, they're really, really good people. And that was, you know, that was a wonderful start into um, a new direction in, in the career in, in beer that I'm, I'm still in you know, all this time later. And it's been the same for, you know, the, the, the amount of other brewers that have, have been through there is, and uh, that are doing really cool stuff now is, is phenomenal. Um, it's, um, it's interesting, you know, that, that question, are, are they still around? Um, it's so hard to keep track Especially from Melbourne, of, of all the exciting things happening, uh, I guess north of Melbourne, and you know, you do sometimes feel a little bit uh, I don't know, ignorant, self-involved down here. But I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying there are so many things happening in that part of the world in the in the beer industry. How's it, how does it look like from where you're sitting? Pretty exciting, uh, pretty big, pretty daunting too. In some ways, um, there's a lot going on. Um, I often wonder what it looks like from the outside and. The people might perceive it um, as being different to what it is, which is always the case when you're you're on the outside of a little bit more on the outside of something. Um, you know, at, at times when I see like the representation that interstate breweries put up here, it's it's as though that they maybe think the streets aligned with gold in in Brisbane. Uh, you know, the beer is just raining down from the sky, and people open their mouths and drink it, and 
and throw their money up in the air back to the brewers, but it's not the, not the case. But it, it's good. It's cool. Uh, you know, we've gone from a situation where uh, at that period there, where I knew everyone uh, up here, I knew every brewer on a first-name basis, you know, would go on for, for beers with them. Uh, we knew the ins and outs of everything of what each other was, was, was doing. And now uh, there's breweries that I just don't know. Um, people say, you've, you've been to this, you heard of those. Like, no, who are, who are they? What's that? Or uh, people that have been in the industry for, for, you know, quite a long time up here and I've never got the chance to meet them yet because it's, it's just a, been such a, um, a, a snowball effect here for the last, say, six, seven, um, even eight years. Mm. Um, how's the, the quality in general up there? Uh, same as everywhere. There's ups and downs. Um, in general, it's, um, you know, if we compare the general quality now to what the general quality was 16 years ago, it's three, three. Um, yeah, it really is. I think that's across the board in mm. the, uh, across the country, but we're not without quality issues um, around the place. Some of those quality issues relate to long-term stability of beer, and other than the others, it's like you need to go back to the, the, the drawing board and, and get some basics down here. There, there still is some some poor stuff out there, but I, I have a lot more, you know, a thousand times more confidence now grabbing a random new beer off the shelf than, than I would have, um, you know, not that many years ago. That's one of the really cool things as well. Um, going into a bottle shop, even, you know, five years ago, you kind of had to be really careful. Uh, and now, you know, generally, yeah, you're, you're pretty confident um, or I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident that I've got my core beers that I'll usually buy or I'll, I know and trust those people. But if I'm grabbing a random thing, if it's not going to be to my taste, chances are it's not going to be horrific. Whereas that certainly wasn't always the case, uh, which no. is great. No, but there, there still is some gym shoppers. You know, we went and visited a brewery um, uh, a while back um, in the last few months. And it was in a really cool spot. There were lovely people there. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I want to take all our staff there to go and have a tasting of the beers because each one of the beers was like a lesson in what not to do with with the beer and, and serious serious faults um, mm. through each of them. Uh, but there was nothing that could that couldn't be overcome there. They were new to the industry, had never done it before. I don't think they'd even been homebrewing long, um, and there was yeah, there was nothing there that couldn't be overcome with a little bit of a little bit of assistance. But that's that. Uh, level of, of problem and quality uh, is 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 the outlier in, in, in general. You know, um, I've got confidence in so many of the breweries up here that I you know I just know that I can say, but yeah, buy some from them. Anything from them is going to be a well-made beer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to sort of go back to some of your your previous roles as well because you've worked um, Murray's, Fortitude, mm-hmm. uh, Green Beacon. I'm looking at your LinkedIn page. I'm not remembering this off the top of my head. My memory's terrible. Um, but yeah, you've kind of seen the the beer world evolve. Um, you know, as you said, from those early days when it was I don't know, mostly I guess those brew pub standards were kind of the the way to go um, for a lot of places. You know, a brown ale, um, and then you might do a pale ale, and it might be a bit hoppy. Um, what do you think? I guess. Do breweries coming in now need to have those kind of brew pub standards or can they kind of, you know, is the market accepting enough that you can just kind of do, you know, something completely out there and it works now? Uh, probably it depends on the model, the, the business you're going for. And 
that's it. And that's a problem sometimes some breweries have, I think, um, starting off, is having an actual identity and not just an identity that's a logo, uh, but they've got to have, um, you've got to know what the intention is um, for the beer that you're going to release and, and what you're going to do. And if you're going to do a proper old school brew pub, those sorts of things probably are, are necessary, but maybe they're not. Maybe you can start with, with all crazy stuff. Uh, personally, I wouldn't, and I think that could be kind of sad in a way, um, but, uh, uh, you know, it depends on the identity of, of what you're, you're doing. If you're going to set something up and do some really out there cool funky foods and so forth there, then maybe doing a brown ale and a bitter and uh, a, a hefeweizen is, is, not the, well, is definitely not the way to go. But then again, if you're going to be doing serving um, schnitzels and, uh, you know, chewing chips and um, more basic pub there, doing a, some really weird funky out there thing is also not the right way to go with it. So it depends on your whole, on your whole model and what you're, what you're trying to create and what you're trying to express and what you your, the character of your beers to, to generally run across. And I'm, I'm quite big into that, that a brewery should have, uh, its beer should have an identity beyond the brand, but as in what they taste like and that they're relatable back across to each other and that you have uh, something that you're aiming for with each of your beers, even though they're different, there is some underlying um, facet to how you put those beers together. I think that's one of the cool things. Um, you know, we've had Range open up here in Melbourne recently, um, nearby Fixation, who, you know, it's two breweries that kind of specialise in IPAs. Um, and they're completely different IPAs. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, that's, that's a great example, uh, is, is those two there, two IPA specialists, and they're going to stick to what they, what they do, and they're, they're each totally different uh, uh, from each other. And, yeah, they, yeah, both really, really good examples of, of a brewery that's, um, that's, that's finding their, their path and has carved out what they, what they want to do there. And even with that, um, you know, I don't know. You'd have to speak to the guys that are, that are brewing there and, and that are putting it all together. They've probably got their own way of looking at how they construct a beer and um, and how that path and what makes it there. And that was something that, that we did at Murray's that I really liked was you know we had we were known for the hoppy stuff uh, at, at that period of time, but we had a definite way that we constructed a beer and we'd bounce ideas off each other in the brewery all the time and come up with stuff and we you know might come up with an idea and go that that's a really great beer idea and that's a you know sounds like an awesome beer. Let's brew that at home for ourselves. That's not uh, Murray's beer. That's not um, what we took as the the, our, the boundaries that we set ourselves and how we how we designed those beers. What are some examples um, of, I guess, in that case, a beer that would be a Murray's beer that versus a beer that wouldn't be in terms of construction and what's that? You know, is that ingredients or is it? Well, it, in, ingredients at that stage in time definitely was because we only used New Zealand hops back then. Okay. So, you know, that, that, was, that was a definite start. But we were, um, in some ways, the sounding, some of this at first might sound a little bit juvenile, uh, but there was big, uh, there was big malt, there was big hops, um, there was big esters. Uh, it, was, it, it was big. Um, some of those beers now have seen tame, but that, at that time they were pushing out on the, on, on the edge. Um, but, you know, we look around, you know, we're talking around things like, you know, beer to guard and stuff like that. It was like, well, if we do that, you know, uh, uh, I remember floating an idea for a beer to garden and, you know, everything, Sean was the head brewer, so everything had to pass by his thing, final thing in the end. And we were going over this beer and bouncing ideas back and forth. And, you know, it's like, well, that sounds a great idea, but that's that's not a Murray's beer to guard. That's a, a really good, 
uh, classic beer guide, how would we do that as a as a as a Murray's beer? It's like, oh, okay, let's um let's push the yeast out a little, little bit there, and let's you know do a blend of of, of yeasts in there. Uh, let's do a base of Marisota, you know, to, to to give it a bit more more character, and in that way, and that was the our house our, our house our malt was was using Marisota, um, and I can't remember what else. Now this is going back a lot of years, but. We then, you know, thought out and designed a beer to guard uh, as to how a Murray's beer to guard would be, not just and how a really good Murray's beer to guard would be, and not just how a really good beer to guard would be. That's a style I haven't thought of for a long time. Admittedly, uh, it's a style that I really love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah same here. You, you just don't hear them talked about at all anymore, um, and I can't tell you the last time I saw one on a shelf um, somewhere. There's a sign over in the corner over here for, for, for one, but um, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, one of the ones from St. Sylvester, but um, I haven't seen that beer in Australia in years. Unfortunately, yeah. it's sad. I, I, love, I love those styles of beers. It's, it's so interesting, um, you know, thinking of and, and the, sort of those beers that were coming out of Murray's at the time. Um, you know, they seem to be so ahead of the pack and quite boundary pushing and quite edgy. And, and as you said, now they might seem somewhat tame. Um, I guess thinking back, would you have ever imagined the market could have grown to this point where, you know, people are brewing double IPAs as core range and no one really bats an eye anymore? Yeah, yeah, I, I could. I could. We were hoping for that. Um, yeah, I, I really could. I could see that. But in saying that, don't make me sound like a, I'm not a fortune teller because there's, in seeing that uh, double IPAs as being core range, I could definitely see that at the time because we then, Icon went from being a, a, something we brewed occasionally, you know, all originally like once a year, a couple of times a year, oh, as often as we can keep them in the schedule to, no, we've got to have Icon all the time. Uh, so I could really see that happening. However, what IPAs become now, no, I definitely couldn't have seen that 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 happening back then. So... Um, yeah, I'm not a, not not a quite a fortune teller, but maybe it was just that I that I hoped I could see see that happening. No, I don't think anyone could have seen what IPAs are now. Um, you know, lo- love them or hate them, there's certainly a there's a massive shift in what it is. Oh, incredibly different to what we were doing back then. Um, and there's aspects to the change now that I think are great for IPA, and aspects to the change that I think aren't as good, but, you know, that's how things evolve. Um, and um, yeah, they're going to keep evolving, they're going to keep changing, and maybe something's going to swing around about the other way um, or it's going to go in some other new direction. Uh, my hope is, though, that we can see... Uh, I don't want to see necessarily individual styles evolving, but I want to see styles become reference points in, in time um, and that we'll, it, it, it morphs into something else. So rather than... Uh, uh, and West Coast IPA is an example for that that I think unfortunately is um, not what it was um, and it's become something else. And that's cool, but we need to still have know what a West Coast IPA um, is and then inspirations come on from there and then that morphs into something new and then that becomes something new and they has all become, we get more and more of these styles, but each of them is a, has a reference point and a, and a period in time and is um, I don't like to define things too hard because that can, you know, be, be constrictive. But but you have a bit of an idea there about it. it now, you know, the West Coast IPAs are around you know, a fraction of the bitterness of, of, 
of what we used to have to be because the general bitterness taste of what people are expecting in an IPA has has changed. But that doesn't mean we should change a West Coast IPA. If that means a West Coast IPA is not as popular because of that, that's fine. There's other things that will still fill that void, but let's let what it is be what it is. We don't have jazz is not black metal because it's evolved into black metal. Jazz still says jazz and black metal is black metal. Unrelated musical styles, but I'm trying <laughs> to do an extreme example here. I feel like uh, I could pull apart that metaphor for, for hours, but I'm not going to. I could have thought of that one better, better off the top of my head. But you, you know what I mean. Styles, yeah. styles evolve. We're not doing 70s uh, metal anymore. It evolved through various things. Um, thrash evolved through ver- various things but and become something new. But still, you, that if you define... Uh, like 70s metal, early blues metal, or, or um, you know, 80s thrash, they still exist as to what they are and haven't become something totally different. Mm. The things that they've evolved into have, have been identified as their own style. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting one because we, you know, and I think of it from someone that, that does a lot of tastings and events and consumer education, and it's at the moment you kind of have to throw out everything that you were doing up until three years ago, um, you know, traditionally if you're doing consumer education, you might do a, a classic lager and a, a pale and then an IPA and then a stout. But these days, you know, those styles aren't anywhere in a pub <laughs> and you've got two or three hazies and then there's a summer ale and then there's a kettle sour with fruit and you're kind of like, okay, how do I, what are my reference points for explaining this to someone that doesn't know what an IPA is, let alone what a, a double hazy IPA is or a lactose IPA. Um, this isn't a question. This is more just me going, it's so hard to do. Because <laughs> yeah, anyway, th- those reference points are completely gone, I think, for, 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 for us that have, I guess, grown up with them. Um, and I think the challenge is now to try and work out what, that, what these things mean to the next, next generation. Yeah, I think we need those reference points. And I think we have to fight to have those reference points there because... Um, that helps us identify and grow and see beers change over the years, which is important. Beer shouldn't stay, shouldn't stay static. It should move and evolve and grow. Um, innovation is important. Uh, innovation based on tradition, um, you know, and then that is constantly evolving and growing. But then you have those reference points to go back and see beers growth and you can learn how something has become what it is. And if you're having those reference points, those style, those time reference points, then it helps you see how things are innovating and how things are growing at the same time, uh, rather than just seeing it as a constant little by little, um, you can see the actual definitive steps in the process of how it's come to to where it is. And and I, I think for that, for brewers learning and growing, and also too for consumer education, I think that's... Um, uh, uh, that's an important thing. And um, we're not going to have all those points from the past at all times, but, you know, with that, then maybe, yeah, I'm just thinking here at the moment, wouldn't it be cool to do, uh, if you could somehow do an evolution, uh, evolution of IPA over the last 20 years, a tasting event based on, on, on that? You know, if you could get some, some of the guys from around years ago to re-brew the IPAs that are brewing, say, in, in the very early 2000s and in the mid-2000s, 2010, 2015, and now and be able to taste those beers essentially fresh there now and say to them, please don't modernise it at all. Look back at your recipe sheet then and brew it as close to you could to what you were doing then and taste it. It'd be amazing to taste the difference in how, how, how it is evolved. 
that is the kind of event that I'd absolutely be interested in doing. Um, I'm going to file that one away. I'm going to edit this out of the video so no one else steals it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I guess thinking of that, because West Coast IPA is an interesting one. Um, I had your IPA, which you consider West Coast. Is that right? G-Force. Yeah. No way. No, okay. actually, interesting story with that one. We did a bigger version of that last year called Maximum G-Force. It sold really well. People loved it. It was a really lovely beer. And I was speaking with a, um, a beer lover a few months ago at an event, and he described how Maximum G-Force was the best West Coast IPA had had that year. I was like, oh, dude, please, no, no, <laughs> no. Thank you, thank you that you loved it, but that is not a West Coast IPA. Um, it's, yeah, it's just not even, not even close to a West Coast IPA. So all compared to... And it's like, well, compared to that hazy thing over there, yeah, I suppose it does seem that way, but it's not. And that's a, that's a problem that we have, yeah, that we've got that there. And that maximum G-Force is just, well, let's just call it a contemporary IPA. Um, it was a big contemporary IPA, but it wasn't West Coast. And that actually forced me to think about it. And I thought back to we have done a beer that we've labelled as a West Coast IPA um, and looked at what I did that at and looked at um, the recipe for that. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was... West Coast IPA for now, but that wasn't really even a West Coast IPA. So we've actually embarked um, since then. You know, I was talking about that to uh, to deal um, the the owner, and you know, we've we've got on a bit of a project now. We're releasing a series of beers called the Real Deal. They're just on at the at the brewery, and it's us building back a West Coast IPA, and and we make you know we're on uh, version two of it only now, and it's like okay, well. Version one was great, but this is what I want to, you know, this is what I think we need to do there. Version two, okay, that's great, but there's this this aspects to it. And with that, it's it's quite, quite. Um, I don't really like the term, but dank um, and stinky, you know, hops, you know, because we're talking all uh, Cascade, Chinook, Columbus. And it's like, okay, this is cool, but I think we can have that style then and still have it at that attention, but with modern, a little bit of twist to modern-ish hops. So, you know, next time I'm going to chuck a little bit of something that had just left a tiny touch of fruit on it because, let's face it, if I had those hops, um, if I had Citra 15 years ago, I would have been using it. Um, so, you know, maybe a little touch of something like that in there. But in trying to make a properly uh, proper uh, West Coast IPA full of bitterness but still well-balanced and drinkable and with a big lifted hop nose um, and... Yeah, as a West Coast IPA, but IPA, but yeah, GeForce is is certainly not. It's a it's a contemporary contemporary IPA. So, um, my I guess my understanding of what a West Coast IPA has changed so many times over the years, um, and that's mostly I've never been to you know the the West Coast of the US and uh, drunk them fresh, um, but I've certainly had some of the you know the the, the the big name versions and I've had them fresh. Um, but, you know, that, that interpretation of West Coast IPA is changes from, from brewer to brewer sometimes. What, other than the big resiny classic sea hops, what do you think a West Coast IPA actually needs? Uh, it should have malt, but this is one of the things that should have malt, but that should still be a, a dryish finish and it should have ultimate drinkability mm. um, to it. And you're right, there is variation brewers to brewers definition but we're generally all in the same sort of ballpark to it and of course there's variation because otherwise a west coast ipa everyone from every brewery would taste identical and that mm. would be boring in the end um but yeah it should have 
um, drinkability, it should have a very firm, um, very, very firm bitterness to it, but there should still be malt balance and that finish should be, should be drying from the bitterness, from the mineral content um, or, or that as, as, as well. Um, you should be able to see through your beer too if it's a West Coast IPA. Otherwise, that's not a West Coast IPA um, if I can't see my finger on the, the other side of the glass. Um, you know, that's an appearance thing which 15 years ago I would have told you, don't worry about the appearance, but now I think we're kind of, um, you know, to, to differentiate everything a little bit. Um, but, yeah, there, there is variation, but you certainly can't have a beer that's um, got as low a bitterness as G-Force has and call that a West Coast IPA. So, yeah, I was about to ask, um, I was just looking at GeForce then. Um, so low bitterness is kind of the where the contemporary aspect comes in rather than the, the West Coast aspect, I guess. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of interesting um, to think of, you know, say West Coast IPA was kind of the defining, you know, if you were making an IPA, you were either making an English one or a West Coast one, you know, up in you know in sort of early 2000s 2010 um but now it's kind of cool that there is space for a contemporary one um you know i, I do like the idea that people are calling theirs australian ipas for example um you know they're using australian hops and it's kind of restrained for the australian palate um i think that's i think that's interesting yeah i, I hadn't really heard the term australian ipa to be honest uh, i'd be interested to see how people are defining that, I think uh, I've seen it on. Um, I think it's mostly all Australian hopped IPAs. I, I think it's that kind of okay. point of difference. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, and it's an interesting one. And in West Coast IPAs now, I think I, I'm, maybe I've said we feel like we're having a bit of a resurgence of them, but I think it's a very small amount of people wanting them or, or brewing them again. Um, how How are the ones that you're brewing selling in the tap room? Yeah, they're going okay. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, they are. They're going quite quite okay. Um, uh, certainly, probably the contemporary IPAs sell um, a little quicker, but they're certainly not being disregarded. Um, and um, you know, as we've got more developments coming at our cellar door and that at the moment, and with that, then I'll be able to get a little bit more feedback, and I'll have have more of them available to people, and I'll have higher flow of people through there, so I can get. A little bit more consumer interest there but to be honest we're doing more for ourselves uh, as a bit of fun and i suppose um as a vain you know consumer education thing um saying people know this is what an ipa you know this is what a west coast ipa is and i, I do think that that's that's quite important that we don't lose what a beer was and define and have have it more than something completely different that should be something completely different. And that is awesome. That's cool too. Um, beer shouldn't stand still, but we shouldn't still be using that same uh, uh, same terminology for something when it's something that is totally different. Um, we haven't really talked too much about Slipstream as a, as a uh, brewery. You mentioned kind of what a uh, Murray's beer, you know, had at its core and what made a Murray's beer. Um, can you talk about the same of what makes a, a beer at Slipstream? Yep, hops. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, it's a hop board brewery. Um, Dylan and Alyssa, the owners, um, love love hops deals. Uh, a real hop head. Um, so we're defining everything around hops. But uh, we aim for uh, strong drinkability. And that's something that, you know, goes across everything I like to do is drinkability. Uh, I don't like a situation where something tastes awesome for a couple of sips, but you don't want to finish the glass. Um, that is 
what's the point in, in, in that? I really don't see that. I had a beer the other night uh, from the brewery. It was a um, one of the modern stouts, you know, of throwing the kitchen sink at it. And the first few sips were fantastic. There was one aspect of one of the ingredients that I picked out that I didn't like, um, but that was my, my personal taste thing. But it was like really quite good, very rich, all these things going on. And uh, Rocky and I shared a glass between, uh, shared a can between the two of us. Didn't want to finish it in the end, though, you know. And it's like, well, what was the point in that? You've got to, you've got to be able to finish it. So we take the same with, with everything we do at Slip Drink. You've got to be able to want to finish it. Now, there will be some people that don't, because some people don't like an Imperial Stout or an IPA or whatever. But aiming for, for proper good drinkability all the way through, uh, aiming it for it to be approachable. But mm. by approachable, sometimes that can be a dog whistle. People go, oh, that it's you know, looking at entry point. No, certainly not entry point. And I think actually entry point beer is an insulting term too. Um, to, to, you know, it's, it's like as though if you want to do something that's drinkable and approachable, that that's only something you, you enjoy at the start of your journey in beer, not all the way through it. Uh, I like big, rich attacking beers um, of, of all sorts of natures, but at the same time, too, I can appreciate a Hellers at the, at the end of the day just as much. Um, but, yeah, we want drinkability, approachability and lots of, lots of flavour. Uh, I aim our finishes are moderately dry, not as dry as um, I have done in some other beers that I, I've, I've made and the, the beers that I make at home. Um, but... Uh, uh, something that, that moderate um, moderate style finish um, and um, yeah aim for a very very clean fermented um, beer is what we want we want a nice clean well made beer um, and one that's as, hopefully as stable as we can Have you been at Slipstream since it launched? Yeah so it was four years on Sunday just being uh, oh, since Happy birthday Yeah thanks um, so I arrived uh, when I well when I started um, was uh, the day before the shipping containers arrived and installed it all in and yeah months then finishing off the install and waiting for the final approvals and then um, launching into the market getting our cellar door up and running growing 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 and um, yeah so yeah essentially I've been I was the first employee awesome. It's got to be uh, fun to, to see a, a business grow over the four yeah, years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think back to what I said to Dylan at times, like, all right, what's your target for us to, to brew this year? And he gave me his target. It's like, all right, okay. And then, um, yeah, seeing what we're, what we're doing now and what we could have probably done in the last 12 months, we'd have had the, the tank space to do it and what we're, what we're growing and, and morphing into to now, you know, with... Um, uh, we're weeks away from our new cellar door opening, which is a 250-seat venue, and it's uh, looking awesome. I go and stand and um, peer over the, the, the fence from our current cellar door into the, the new one, looking around every day, noting the changes, and like, seeing the flooring today go down in the, um, in the behind-the-bar area and uh, watching the python get installed over the top for, for the new draft system. And then uh, I know that we've got... Um, the end of this week, we've got more tanks, um, uh, heat more tanks landing, um, you know, in, in Brisbane and then they get delivered next week. And, you know, um, the, the, the amount of stuff that's going on and that change in size from where we were, um, you know, three and a half years ago in May um, 2017 when, um, when the beers were first launched at the Scratch Bar. So, no, May, no, June, June 2017. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what are the differences between um, the old, the current cellar door and the, the new one? Current cellar door, um, it, it's like the, the, the main part of it is a tiny little area. And then we used to actually, like we had to finish up on Friday uh, in the brewery early, get everything out so that then um, uh, there's actually the tables going up through the, through the brewery area. Um, they're not going to be able to do that now because this tank's about to be erected in there. Um, and then we were part of a complex of two buildings um, on, on the one block. Uh, we were the back half of the first building um, and there was out the back, uh, in the building out the back, there was a, a mob that built um, skips, built big metal bins. And then in front of us, in the front half of our building, there was a, uh, uh, a large mechanics workshop and they had a, like a car yard thing out the front of that. Now we have the entire sites, both buildings, um, and the back building is, is storage area. We've got a big car park out the back of there um, and the front building is now our complete cellar door and an office block for us in there too. Um, yeah, we've got a kitchen going in, which we've always had food trucks for in the past. Um, we've got a, a big kitchen going in. We've got chefs on board all, already. Um, they're not cooking yet. I keep ribbing them every day. It's like, hey, guys, been working for a week. You're two chefs. Where's my lunch? I got the beer. <laughs> um, but obviously, they're doing all the build up to, to opening, um, opening the cellar door. Um, and um, yeah, we've got a massive beer garden out the front, uh, which is awesome. Uh, Queensland's a perfect place for a beer garden. And beer gardens, have even in traditional pubs, have gone away. Um, over the years for various reasons. Um, but so it's cool to have one back. I think I'm trying to think of other breweries in Queensland that have a beer garden. Um, Brewdog um, do. Um, but um, actually, I haven't even been into their beer garden to know what it's like. I've only been in there once. Um, but, you know, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about about that. You know, um, it's we're, we're in the suburbs, but we're not that far from the city. Um, and we're right right beside the train station. We're only a couple of stops to uh, like South Brisbane, South Bank, um, so people can be right in the heart of uh, a lot of dining and beer in those areas and be a couple of train spots away from, away from us. But uh, at the same time, too, we're accessible to, to all the suburban side there. Um, so we've got a family-friendly aspect to it as well, kids' cubby houses, et cetera. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's massive. From We had a big space, um, a larger space, and now we've got a massive space uh, that we're occupying all of. Yeah, great. Um, that's exciting. It's exciting to hear about growth, particularly after you know, the year that everyone's had and everyone was so par- or so worried about what the industry yeah. would look like. Um, and at this point, you know, it's cool hearing these stories that, yeah. Um, what else is in the neighbourhood? Any other breweries near you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, if I had a better arm on me, I could probably throw a tennis ball into Helios. Um, they're... Um, a couple of hundred metres away from us, but it's actually, you know, uh, probably a 15-minute walk um, or, or a good five-minute um, drive just because of the way the tra- train line is. you sort of got to loop out and around. Yeah. But, um, but Charlie and Co are yeah, just across from us there. Um, Ballistic Boys are only five minutes drive away too. They're further away, but it's a more direct drive um, to them, five or six minutes drive, drive away uh, from them. And, you know, Lockheed and I are in pretty... Uh, regular contact stealing ingredients off each other. Uh, Lockie, <laughs> only two bag of rolled oats. Don't forget that. Um, and, and yeah, so we're the three three that are out there. Um, the next closest would be to go into probably easy times um, opposite the Gabba. 
and uh, Black Ops Brisbane um, is also probably under 10 minutes drive uh, away as well, or going to the brew house in, in, in West End and Catchman in West End. It is, yeah, it's it's so hard to keep get my head around, you know, these just neighbourhoods around the, the country that are just full of breweries now. And, you know, while it's slightly extended out from there, it is, um, it's exciting that, you know, no matter where you are, if you're kind of in a city or even in smaller regional towns, there's there's a, probably a brewery near you right now. Oh, absolutely! It's getting so easy to get uh, to get beer, to get beer that you want to drink. Um, and actually, the funny thing is, sometimes I find myself going to a place and going, like, no, "I don't want anything here," but because you're starting to get spoiled for the choice and not realizing how good we actually do we do have it. And you know, you can get good beer so much easier now than than you used to be able to, um, and, which is. Which is awesome. So sometimes I, I think I have to pull my head out of my bum, you know, when I'm going. I don't want to drink any of this stuff. It's like, well, remember what it was like even ten years ago? You would have, you would have killed for this. Um, you wouldn't even yeah. known these styles existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten years ago, I'd be walking there. I probably wouldn't have identified it maybe as beer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's cool. We're, we're living in a good age. Uh, my personal preferences in a lot of beers isn't um, necessarily what the current market is. So. You know, that's one reason I sometimes have to pull my head out of the bum and, and, and realise that not everybody's going to have what I want to drink, but that what we've got in front of me is a good selection of really well-made beers. In one of my my jobs today, I had to uh, give some quotes around pastry stouts, but they weren't coming from my opinion on pastry stouts. They were coming from someone else, you know, to a, to a media quote. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of pastry stouts to the point of I kind of had to look up what actually goes into making a lot of the because I don't really know, um, and then kind of talk about, you know, because they are exciting to the market, but they just, I, I absolutely don't want to drink one. <laughs> well, I made one just recently. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's, see, it's one of those ones where I think what, what does go into it, because everyone's got a different definition of how they're going to go about it and do it, mm-hmm. and certainly the way I've done it is probably a little bit different, um, and um, uh, I, I wish you were closer. You can have a, have a taste and see, you know, get your feedback on it, then um, see what you think. Uh, I haven't gone down the route of many flavourings as such. Um, yes, I have. I put banana in there and I put cinnamon and, and, and nutmeg in there, but it's it's uh, uh, come across, um, I'm both su- surprised, pleasantly surprised and slightly disappointed at the same time and how it's, how it's come out in that... Uh, Personally, surprising that it's really drinkable and really nice and, and subtle. I think for what it is, and I think I will be able to get through a, a, a full glass of it. I haven't put it on tap yet, um, but um, it's yeah, it, it's it's really quite balanced. When I think I was actually trying to aim for it to be a little <laughs> bit more, um, a little bit, little bit more on 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 the edge. So disappointed in that aspect, but you shouldn't be disappointed when you've made something that's that's um, probably more drinkable than what my intention was um, with it, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, there, there's certainly some that I've tried that I've really enjoyed. but uh, And it, it is probably the, the more drinkable, the somewhat drier, uh, not not overly sweet ones is probably where I land. Oh, yeah, no, this is pretty pretty big, yeah, in, in, its, in its body, in its residual body. It's huge. Um, it would definitely be the biggest residual body on a beer I've ever made, Um yeah, by a long way. But having tasted this, I've tasted it from a sample port, which knocks a fair bit of CO2 out of it. Um, so, uh, and I always find things are different there. Then I have a different evaluation standard for when I'm drinking it there than the way I look at it. 
and um, to what it tastes like when it's actually off tap. And you know, I have it off tap at the cellar doors bar or what it's like in, in the real world is in like at an actual bar. I find that I evaluate them differently there. Um, and the number of times I put a beer out and going, yeah, it's tipping all the boxes. It's meeting our standards and meeting its, um, it, it's, it's within spec um, from a numbers point of view and organoleptically it's all right, you know, um, and, yeah. and then I go and taste it in the real world. And I'm like, shit, actually, I don't mind this. This is pretty <laughs> good. I'm, I'm happy. Um, uh, you, you can ask some of the guys uh, work around me, um, at, at Slipstream about my evaluation. Sometimes stuff will make something and they'll be all excited about it. And they'll say, oh, what do you think? And I'll taste it. Oh, it's not shit. And they're like, oh, it's not shit. This is great. And I was like, no, oh, you know. And then I go out and taste the bar and go, oh, shit, yeah, you're right. Okay, I can see there. It's just in that work environment, in that workplace, I, I'm a lot tougher and harsher on on, on, on things and, um, than I am when I'm having it out at an outside bar. So uh, I'll when I taste this in its proper way, that's what, that's, you know, that's when I make my full evaluation, but I'm pretty happy at the moment. Um, I can see you're wearing a Foghorn T-shirt when you leaned back before. Yes. Um, so, Sean, that you worked with at Murray's is, is Foghorn. Uh, that's right, yeah. Both under the Mighty Craft banner now. Yep. Yeah, we have a common investor between the two two breweries. Yep. Um, Sean's a, a, a one of the best mates, um, and, yeah, we, we keep in regular contact and um, – uh, I, I'm very excited to know that I'm going to be able to get some of his beer um, up here shortly so I can uh, get a heap of his stout into my belly, which is, um, yeah, a, a, one of my favourite stouts in this in this country, uh, up there with Cooper's Best Extra Stout. It's uh, the Sligo Stout, is that yep. the one? Yeah, yep, that's the one, yeah, cracking, absolutely cracking beer. And, you know, it's got the accolades, it's, I think it's won three trophies in the last four years or something. Pick something up something like at the Indies. I know that. Um, yeah, I think it's won the won the Indies class twice, and it's won the AIBA once in mm. like yeah the last four or five years. I'm I might be wrong on that. I I, I don't keep track of all all of Sean's trophies or medals, <laughs> and he doesn't do the same for me either. But I'm pretty sure that's the case, and it's it's an absolute cracker of a of a beer, and I can't wait to just be able to have it regularly when I'm feeling like a sour. Um. So you mentioned sharing ingredients with ballistic. Um. You know. I guess how does that work? Is there a sort of a formal, you know, do you guys meet up under that Mighty Craft banner and say, hey? Nah, not, a, not at all. We're, we're totally independent businesses and we are competitors to each other too. Um, I don't want you to drink Lockie's beer. I want you to drink mine. But, hey, if you're not drinking mine, drink Lockie's beer. It's all right, I guess. It's um, pretty good at times, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes <laughs> okay, you know. Um, but, uh, no, that's just as simply as neighbouring breweries and we both have a reasonable size, so we both stock a, have a reasonable amount of stock on site. Um, and we're a few minutes drive apart. So um, it'd be the same if, you know, the guys from Easy Times or Helios called me up and said, yeah, you got 50 kilos of, of, of oats to spare and be like, yeah, no worries. Um, so that's, yeah, it's nothing nothing to do with the Mighty Craft, um, uh, you know, commonality we have. It's just that we're, we're close by and, and we don't despise each other. So uh, <laughs> I think that's one of the... the- kind of cool things we've talked so much about changes um in beer styles and just the industry um well, one of the things that hasn't seemed to have changed is that borrow borrowing a, a bag of malt or a few hops when you need to has kind of been a through line in the the craft beer industry that it still happens and that's that's really exciting i think yeah yeah um like in the older days, it wasn't as common, not because we didn't want to help each other out, but just because uh, generally our breweries were much further apart because we're so spread out. Um, but um, so like, 
at Sunny Coast, I didn't really get it much. I think I did do it somewhere once, I had to drive to Brisbane to pick something up or drop something off. Um, but, um, and the same as Murray's, where, you know, um, Keith at, um, at Potter's was our next closest brewery, and that was, you know, probably an hour and a half's drive away. Um, so we didn't, you know, we would have because we loved Keith, and, you know, Keith is, well, that's now part of Foghorn. Um, but um, uh, uh, it just wasn't as common. But then from the time of Fortitude um, and uh, uh, Brenton at Burley and I often had swapped over ingredients and that with each other, you know, we were still a good hour's drive apart from each other, but we felt like we were close anyway. And, yeah, I certainly borrowed uh, hops off him. I can remember him borrowing half a tonne of grain off me. Um, and it was just, you know, it was, it, was, it was a given. And, you know, now in a situation where if, I, if I've got the ingredient just to spare within the period when they can get it back to me, it's yours. Take it. It's yours. And I know that they'll do the same for me. If I, if I need it and I can replace it for them in the period to when they would actually need to be using it, I know that it's, it's, it's mine to use. And that's, I'm sure that's common across uh, most places around the country. You know, we've got to help each other out in, in, in that way. And we're not infringing upon each other in any way in doing that. We're not it's not something that's infringing upon anyone's competitiveness or anything like that. It's just, you know, help out your brothers and sisters in, in the other brewery. Are uh, you still homebrewing? Yeah, I've started again. Yeah. Great. Um, started again the last, last year. Uh, up until um, I went to Fortitude, I was still an active homebrewer all through time at Murray's. You know, I might brew half a dozen times a year, but I was still, still brewing. Um, then fortunately, I got pretty bloody busy, although I had a, um, what do I call that, Braumeister um, mm. at my disposal there that we use for R&D. And sometimes I, whilst I was working on the the, the, the Fortitude small system, I, I might chuck a batch on the Braumeister for my own benefit and just knowing that, well, if I got too busy in the day and didn't get back to it, so be it, I lost 10 kilos, 15 kilos of grain, whatever, which is no big deal. Um, so I was still doing a bit then, but then um, that was pretty occasional. Um, and then I uh, went and got myself a grandfather uh, last year and, yeah, uh, brewing the beer I want to drink, I want to make for me at, at, at home and, and loving that. Yeah, so what, what uh, loving, you, loving, loving. Do you have a house beer or have you got like a favourite recipe that you're just, is your beer? No, not really. Uh, I, um, at home, basically, I just brew Belgian stuff. Um, okay. That's, 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 that's my love, you know, that's... That's, to me, the whole reason for being a brewer. Uh, don't get me wrong, I like hops, I like IPAs, but if you tell me I can never make another IPA again, I'd be a bit disappointed, but I'll, life goes on. If you tell me I can't make a Belgian style again, well, what's the point in being a brewer anymore? You know, there's just, what's the point in anything, man? You know, it's like telling me I can't listen to music anymore. Uh, worse, worse. Um, so, yeah, I, I have brewed, uh, uh, I brewed one IPA um, uh, on it, I brewed one with Kvike. Uh, yeast and loved that actually that was really cool um, just because I hadn't played with that before and so I wanted to wanted to just see uh, what it was like and was just blown away with how that stuff performs it's an absolute animal um, but yeah it's mainly about Belgian stuff and actually mainly around saisons um, yeah I've bred probably half a dozen different saisons um, in the last seven or eight months um, and um, I've got about another half dozen planned that I'm just chomping at the bit to to get them down to to brew them you know that's that's just what I want to drink all the time um, love it um, so you know it's a great release and you've got to love you've got to love a job where you, you do something all day you know 
I've been uh, in this industry 18, 18 years and, um, you know, through all day in a hot and sweaty environment. And then I go home, you know, I might have started at um, half past three in the morning and, you know, get home at one o'clock in the afternoon and um, then go, right, okay, uh, let's get matched in on, the, on a batch of homebrew. Um, <laughs> and so I realise I'm in the right occupation when I, when I still do that. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I guess you, you sort of mentioned metal and you kind of talked a little bit about it and you mentioned music. Do you have a, a metal band recommendation or a, a band recommendation out there for our fans? So mu- music has a massive, been a massive part of my life. I was, uh, let's call it a semi-pro musician. You know, I did play in um, original bands and we did get around. We were a paid um, band. We had a record deal that we then fucked up on. Um, so, um, and uh, uh, well, I was around punk, it's been my thing. Um, but I like all sorts of music. Um, and uh, yeah, I do like metal. Uh, we've had an interesting time in our brewery. Um, uh, uh, so I like a bit of metal music. Um, John in um, uh, runs our packaging, he, he, he likes metal. Um, Henry, um, who's, who's the, he, Henry's just the absolute man. Henry is slipstream, um, he's, he's the hardest working individual of all time. Uh, he likes metal. Uh, Tim, uh, Tim Golding uh, uh, used to work for, uh, up to just recently was working for us, Tim from Brutal Brewers, um, and he's like incredibly into his metal. And so there's a lot of metal listened to at work. And then when, uh, but I like lots of other stuff. And uh, the, the, uh, the playlist of the year for Henry and myself for the, um, for the last year was actually um, one of lounge music. Um, and um, yeah, when, when whilst Tim was there, and you know the rest of us liked metal, but not quite as much. We used to listen to a hell of a lot, and then um, then when Tim left, it was suddenly like you know the musical taste. You know, went oh, just a little yeah. bit calmer. It was like it feels calmer around here here now. It's, it's not quite so much thrash going on, um, but I'm I'm probably more into punk seventies, uh, eighties um, uh, Australian and US punk is where it's at for me. But I like swing music too. I like bluegrass as well. Um, playing in the background here at the moment is um, the Cram's Jukebox, um, which is a playlist on Spotify, and it's all the, the, the music that the Cramps listened to growing up. And it's all this really weird 50s, 60s stuff. And um, if you're on Spotify, yeah, check out the Cramps Jukebox. It's it's great. Cramps so Jukebox, there's... that's a great one. Uh, I really like the Cramps, and I didn't ever consider to look up a playlist of things that oh, I'm if you like the cramps, you'll love it. It is, it is awesome. And even if you don't like the cramps, just listen to it because um, it's really good. But the playlist of the year, I'll pass this one on to you all. Uh, I'm just going to be distracted to the side here looking at my phone because I've got to remember the exact title of this playlist. Um, it is uh, – where is it? Here it is. Okay, so have your um, – so it's called – write this down, Swanky Lounge Music – for the Space Age Bachelor Pad. Swanky Lounge Music for the Space, for space Age. Age Bachelor Pad. I found this is it. Like, it's great. looks great already. I can see yeah, Shirley Bassey that, in there. Oh, yeah. It is It is so good. We I found that and um, we put it on and you know, we're playing away. And Henry was just like, man, this is banger after banger. And it's like, yeah, it's great. And we... Uh, it'll, it'll go on at least once a week, and it's a really long playlist too. And yeah, it's not heavy, um, but it's just all really good tracks, really cool stuff. Today, I was listening to a, some pretty intense thrash metal, which I do very, very rarely, but sometimes before work. Uh, a band called Witch Vomit, and um, 
and I and I got to work, and and my coworker said, "Oh, can you are you happy to do the music today? Because you know there's only a couple of us in it." And I was like, "Yeah, cool." Um, I was just listening to Witch Vomit. Can I put that on? And they're like, "We'll give you a minute, and that'll be <laughs> all right." Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, some of the metal we listened to over the, the the you know the six months or so that Tim was with us was was awesome because that guy has got such. He's got a lot of passion for beer, but his passion for metal is just incredible. And his knowledge of it is insanely, insanely good. Uh, and I did radio for, I think it's about 12, 14 years. And um, during that period, I, um, I actually did do a metal show um, for a while. And, you know, he just makes me feel like this dumb nerd with no knowledge of <laughs> anything metal. But um, one of the common things we, we talk about too is... Um, uh, um, if if they all all know that um, uh, if if they ask me what what we want to listen to, my default is always just Slayer. Um, so what do you want to listen to? Oh, Slayer. Uh, I, I like Slayer. They're, you know, they're great band. I saw them live three times, and yeah. um, alongside the Go Betweens and Shudo Echo, they're the three greatest live acts I've ever seen. Three most different live acts. That's quite of a different, time. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they were three three bands that have uh, performed really, um, yeah, that really, yeah, just 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 love them. Um, and then that's always just my default. It's hard. if in doubt, listen to Slayer. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely have to agree on Slayer. Um, these days, I, I don't know heaps about metal. I know that I like it loud and, and very fast, which is Slayer. Um, and most of the time, if I'm listening to something, I'm just thinking, I hope these guys aren't Nazis. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there can be it some. Can, it could be pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. Yeah, and that's kind of my cool. level of knowledge. I'm going to Google if they're Nazis, yeah. and if they're not, great. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there can there can be a bit of that sometimes. It's like, yeah, I think I'll move on from these yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, when I was at Murray's, um, so at Murray's, uh, Murray gave us in the brewery, you know, um, free range to essentially brew what we wanted. Um, we would have to put everything to him and let him know that there was, I don't think there was ever a time when he knocked back an idea that we had. We were allowed to do it. He named the beers. Uh, there were very few occasions when he didn't name the beer. Um, so... Heart of Darkness was named by Sean because uh, Sean loved um, the, that novella, Heart of Darkness, by um, what's his name? Kurtz. Um, I'm trying to think of it now. Anyway, he, he named that. And it was a brilliant name for a brilliant beer. Um, if, if, if you don't know of Heart of Darkness, the, 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 the beer or that beer or, or the book, look them up, both up, and you'll, you can see why Sean's named it there. Very, very clever. Uh, the Joseph other one that, Conrad is the author of that. Joseph Conrad, not Kurtz. Yeah. Kurtz, is, Kurtz is one of the characters, I think, yeah. Um, uh, the other that uh, Murray didn't name was Seasons in the Abyss, and that was named by me. Uh, after the <laughs> I know Slayer where that song. one comes from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, when we launched that, the first time we did it was at a, um, an event at Murray's Manly, and um, first brewed just a 50-litre batch of it, and um, had one of the guys from... From um, one of the senior girls from Blue Tongue come up to me and, you know, it was all dressed up for the night, having a night out, come up to me and go, Oh, so who's the Slayer fan? And I'm like, Oh, that'd be me. And um, he had his iPod there and he pulled it out and said, Oh, can we play it? And so we actually and we went, Yeah, shit, yeah, let's do that. And so we played it. We were playing Seasons in the Abyss song, you know, cranking on the stereo whilst we were drinking Seasons in the Abyss. Um, yeah, I think even Crafty put the YouTube link up on, 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 his, on his site. Um, uh, when, when, we, when we did the official release of it in, in bottles. So that was, I think, the first time uh, a Slayer video clip had been on an Australian beer website. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, look, I'd have to do the numbers on that. I reckon I've snuck in a couple of links in the past. Um, before we wrap up, uh, anything that you wanted to add or, or chuck in? Um, not that I can think of. Just no, no. Drink good beer, be good people. Um, yeah. Um, anything exciting coming up uh, that might be packaged that people outside of the brewery can get their hands on that you think people should check out? Um, everything. Um, no, I, I, I honestly can't think. That's just quite terrible. Um, we've got it. You know, we have our plan for the year that we we come up with, and we have a little bit of flexibility in that. Um, uh, uh, we'll be doing more of our hot burst um, series and packaging. We did that um, just as draft only. We've got two brew houses. Um, we've got a three and a half hectare brew house as well as the twenty hectare brew house. So we, uh, you know, do a lot of stuff on that for the cellar door and just for a little fun for R and D. Um, and um, we started doing, I think it was last year, maybe in the year before this hot burst, and we've done three or four of them just on that. Uh, and then we did one last year on the big system that got released through one of the um, larger bottle stores. Uh, and um, um, yeah, we're liking that. And I th- I'm thinking we're going to go the green light on that and do more release on that. Um, I really like those beers that we've done under that. They're, they're contemporary IPAs uh, in, in their own way. Um, and it's um, a little bit of an acknowledgement about how we do, how we approach our hopping at Slipstream. So everyone kind of does it nowadays, but we push it right, right to the edge in, in extreme late, extreme late hopping, um, which is something that wasn't around, you know, well, wasn't really done in this way as much 10 years ago. Um, uh, we did play with it at Murray's Big Wednesday. Was That's exactly what it was. It was all about just about smashing it in the whirlpool to dry it, um, which was, you know, unusual back then. And, when we first released that and called it an IPA, we got criticised quite heavily. This is not an IPA. Then we released it again and called it a pale ale. It was the exact same beer. And people said, oh, what a cracking pale ale it was. And it was the exact same exact same beer. Um, um, yeah, so Hop versus sort of, a, you know, uh, that, that, that's, I think, is going to be coming out more. We will be doing the anniversary ale um, again. And we will be doing the barrel age anniversary ale again. Um, I've got that in barrels there at the moment. I haven't checked it, so hopefully nothing's happened to it, um, <laughs> uh, which is always a risk with barrel aging. Our, our barrel uh, side has depleted significantly this year just because we just got slammed and haven't had time to be able mm. to just put something in barrels. You know, with my beer, I've needed to get it out. Um, so we will be, with the additional capacity, we'll be getting the barrel program um, back into operation again. I've got 60 barrels or something sitting out the back that I've got to fill. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Maximum G-Force will probably make another appearance and we've got another big one um, inspired along that line too that I'm, I'm fingers crossed hoping they're going to release um, in a few months' time as well. Awesome. Ian, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure all of our audience will uh, no doubt be looking out for Slipstream Beers if they haven't already. Thank you very much for having me.